You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. If you're on the YouTube version, you might notice something different. We're uh, we're going to try record video. But to be fair, we're just talking off air. Maybe this might not go great. So, it might actually still just be an audio (laughs) podcast. I hope it works. I hope it works flawlessly and that everything syncs up and all the audio and the video works and it's just, you can see our wonderful faces now on YouTube. But I I think this is going to be something we're going to try doing every week now going forward. We're going to try and just... Now that I'm in the office and I've, I can actually physically record myself while I'm sitting at a computer, um, let's just give it a go. Um, who knows? It might help us a little bit more on YouTube as well. Yeah. The YouTube side of the podcast. I mean, it really doesn't. If you listen to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> no. Yeah. I wonder if there will be any different. Maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get a little bit more of the dynamic that we get when we do the in-person podcast. I'm hoping that we get a little bit more of that. With the video. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, yeah, we are looking at each other as well. Normally, we just Skype each other, but we don't have our video on. But now we've got video on, we've got everything. So, yeah, I'm looking at your your pretty face over there and uh, you're looking fresh, mate. You're hey, looking fresh. You too. We've both had a shower this morning before the podcast. Yep. I think that's, that's not normally the case. So. Yeah. So, you know, we've got the hair done, we've got the makeup on <laughs> and we're good to go. Good. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see how it goes, but hopefully it works out pretty well. Um mm. But uh, mm. what do we got to talk about? Oh, of course, we've got 13F season. So, mm. um, we've got, uh, there's not really that much going on in 13Fs, which is no. a little bit disappointing this time around. But we'll still talk about what Michael Burry, a uh, bit of Monish Pabri, Warren Buffett, of course. And actually, I didn't know that this was coming. But uh, this morning, I just logged onto YouTube and I saw that Charlie Munger overnight had uh, had sat down and done the daily journal annual shareholder meeting, which is similar. They run it similar to the uh, Berkshire Hathaway meetings where it's basically just like an extended Q&A with Mm. Charlie Munger. So, I think it went for like two hours. Uh, Charlie Munger's a little bit more to the point and abrupt with his kind of answers. So, he gets (laughs) through the questions a little bit quicker. Um, But there was still lots of little tidbits in there that I think we'll talk about that for the majority of this podcast. Uh, It's always good hearing from Charlie Munger. He's 98 years old, but it baffles me. His mind's still sharp. Yeah, he's a trooper. Yeah, he's still, yeah, he can still grasp a lot of concepts. He can cover a lot of topics that went through a lot of different things, inflation, politics and geopolitical environment. So many different things that he he can kind of share his insights on. So... And, he, mm. and the recall as well for like things, you know, that, you know, his investing history <laughs> yeah. and that sort of thing is incredible. I can't even recall what I had for breakfast. So, <laughs> <laughs> rice bubbles. Oh, that's Cheerios. right. That's right. It was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you normally go for breakfast? Just out of curiosity. I, I just have wheat bix yeah. yeah. What do you put on them? Surely you're not one of those psychos that just sees plain wheat bix Just, just wheat bix no milk, nothing. Just, just, just. <laughs> <laughs> go through go through half a box a morning. <laughs> <laughs> he just pulls one out, starts chomping down. Yeah, no, uh, no. I just 
I have like, I don't know what it is, like a, you know, just like a mixed topping, like a cereal that you put on top with like berries and stuff in there. Oh, okay. Like granola yeah. or something. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. What, what do you go for? What's your breakfast? Uh, I've been, for the longest time, I've been eating this Uncle Toby's cereal. It's like peach cluster, oat and peach cluster things. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's pretty tasty. It's yeah, one I of sometimes those, get that. One of those kind of muesli-ish sweet muesli kind of things, but sometimes I'll go on Nutrigrain or a Honey Cheerios or something like that just to, to mix it up. But uh, yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> what do you guys eat for breakfast? Let <laughs> us know in the comments. <laughs> uh, if, if this is what we talk about when we put video on, we need to turn this off right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. We need to get back to back to usual. I feel like I'm mm. very relaxed, like we're just in the same room at the moment, just yeah. having, a, having a yarn. But anyway, we'll get back to some investing topics. So Hamish, you want to go through the sponsor clip? Let's, and, uh, and then we'll get into it. Let's do it. Today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So basically, you can bring in all of your trades either automatically uh, or you can uh, or you can enter them in manually by downloading them from uh, Excel. Usually, you can export them from your broker. And once you do that, it will track all of the different types of gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do all of those calculations for you. Currency gains if you buy if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies, uh, and then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So, uh, ShareSite generates up to twelve different reports now that can be used uh, to track performance of your portfolio, diversity, that sort of thing, as well as use the tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. At the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That site spelled S I G H T sharesite.com forward slash young investors. Uh, so you can use that. Link sign up to a free plan and track up to 10 holdings for as long as you want. Uh, or you can sign up to a premium plan and get four months off a yearly subscription if you use our link. And thank you to everyone who has used that link and is supporting the podcast. Thank you very much. All right. We should, um, um we're going to get inflation? this, we're going to get this inflation stuff out of the way. I know I joked yeah. last week about talking about it for half an hour. I promise we won't do that. That no. was a, that was a big joke. Quick update. Because <laughs> last week we, we were recording it literally just before we actually yeah. got the data. And yeah. uh, did, we made some predictions. I can't remember what our predictions mm. were. Did you write them down? I've got them here. Yep. So, okay. uh, yeah. So, last month's inflation was was 7%. So, we we're projecting kind of what was it going to be um, for January year over year. You said 7.1 to 7.2%. Mm. So, a little bit higher than the previous month. And I said between 72 and 74 um, both of us were right that it was it was higher, higher. than 7%. You were a little bit closer. <laughs> I was a little bit, but I mean, I gave myself a nice range. I was like, I think yeah. I, I was like 7.2, 7. 7.3, 7. 7.4. It'll come in somewhere between 5 and 10%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere <laughs> between 1 and 99. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who would have thought 7.5% inflation, hey? Yeah, 7.5%. So the highest since 1982, yeah. highest in 40 years. So yeah. progressively throughout the year, we've gone highest in 20 years, highest in 25 years, highest yeah, in 30 yeah, years, yeah. and now we're at highest <laughs> in 40 years. Um, but keep in mind, inflation was measured differently back then. So yeah. you it can't even make a comparison. You can use the old method and apply it today, but still that's not perfect because there's reasons, there's good reasons why things have kind of changed in the measurements. Mm. Um, but you really can't go, oh, it's, you, you just can't compare it to, to the 80s because it was measured differently. Um, 
Mm. And there was different data available as well um, at the time. It's, I mean, the further back you go, um, when you're looking at any kind of historical data, there's just going to be less reliable data the further you go back naturally compared to how we measure things now um, with most things at least. So, mm. yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I like to look at um, the, uh, the alternative uh, inflation measure, which is using the 1970s, 1980s measure. Um, and if you use that, we're over 16%. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's mind boggling. That's really mind boggling, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So, it's kind of like a, a little asterisk, but just put, put an asterisk after the inflation data because that is just crazy that you yeah. can just change a couple things over time and then, you know, decades down the track, well, it's actually, you know, we say seven and a half and it's actually old method. It's like 16% or something. I've seen a lot of uh, the finance YouTubers talking about that now as well. It's quite interesting, but uh, yeah, kind of scary. Yeah. Kind of scary. 7.5%, but realistically higher and oof. Things are getting more expensive, hey, Mishota? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the month over month increase was 0.6%, which was the same increase from December uh, on an annualized basis. That's 7.4%. So, on a month yep. by month basis, still very, very quick. Certainly not yep. slowing down. A lot of people were using the argument that the, the 7% rate we're seeing now is because if you go back 12 months ago, inflation was quite a bit slower. So, you've got kind of that that um, yeah. it's like a, a peak comparison, but even on mm. a month over month basis, we're still at very still terrible, still at a very fast pace. So yeah. um, that argument doesn't really hold too much water. Core inflation, which excludes gas and groceries, still rose six percent. So excluding the volatile parts of the the, the measurement, six percent increase, and uh, the reaction was was fairly to be expected. Interest rates on government bonds went up um, in anticipation for higher interest rates, official interest rate changes. Um, the 10-year yield hit 2%, which is pretty high. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It was 0.4% or something like, like that. zero. Yeah, it was yeah. basically zero. Um, wasn't that the little bit, the clip in Warren Buffett's annual shareholder meeting from last year where he gets the little clip of the Wall Street Journal and he says oh, for he? the 20-year bonds, they were sold at like 100.0000006 Six zeros. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. No, he, yeah, because he, he's talking about the very short-term rate. But, yeah, he was um, talking about he, the 20-year. But plus, yeah, even, yeah, even the 10-year rate where you lock your money away for 10 years was like, 0.4, 0.5% or something, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's hit 2%, which um, kind of puts it back to 2019, 2018 level. Um, and then uh, stocks fell as a result of it, which makes sense. Uh, tech in particular was down about 5% on the day uh, and then has recovered a little bit since then. So, yeah, I don't know. That's pretty much it. Nothing overly, uh, you know overly exciting or, or um, unexpected, I guess, except that it is still increasing at a high rate. Um, yeah. But yeah, not, I'm not particularly surprised by that at least. Mm. Yeah. It seems like that was to be expected. Hmm. Um, all right. Wrap, should we wrap up inflation talk there and move on to yeah, something else? Let's do it. Let's get all into it. Right. Do you want to do yeah. You want to talk 13Fs first or you want to talk uh, Charlie Munger at the Daily Journal um, meeting? I don't know. The, what I are mean, you feeling? I think let, let's do the 13Fs because I feel like there isn't, there wasn't a whole lot of activity um, as, as is often the case. Um, so, let's let's go through some of these 13Fs before we jump mm. into into that. Do you want to take us through Should Buffett? Because Buffett was probably yeah. the most interesting out of all of them. Start with granddaddy, big buff man. <laughs> um, so, Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio is up to 330.9 
billion dollars. It's healthy. That's, that, <laughs> that's one way of describing it. That is that is a healthy portfolio. Um, yeah, pretty insane. They didn't do very much buying in this quarter too, so mm. a lot of that's just uh, returns. Can that you imagine they've been getting? Can you imagine the YouTube video he could make? I mean, you 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 see a YouTube video <laughs> that's like yeah. my thirty million dollar portfolio, and everyone's like, "Whoa, this guy! This guy's that's a YouTuber! Amazing. It's thirty million He's loaded." Imagine Buffett just comes out. <laughs> revealing my $330 billion portfolio with all zeros as well. Like the, as the- uh, <laughs> He'd run out of space on the thumbnail. You'd be like, how many zero? I can't tell. <laughs> Dude, that would, that would work. Yeah. That would, that would go well. He should do well, that. He- <laughs> <laughs> Man, that, that would be insane. Although it wouldn't be a, very, a particularly interesting video because I mean, we already know. <laughs> yeah. It's maybe, like, yes, Warren, maybe we, that's, we saw that. <laughs> maybe that's going to be the YouTube. Me- maybe that's what you should do when you talk talk about someone's portfolio instead of being like Buffett's portfolio. She'd be like revealing my $330 billion portfolio and then just yeah. put his face on there. Yeah. Could try that. That'd it be work. kind of like, that'd be a pretty funny, like satirical video is like dressing up as Warren Buffett and being like <laughs> the classic finance YouTuber, like <gasps> yeah. Warren Buffett revealing my $330 billion yeah. portfolio. Doing like 6,000 <laughs> affiliate promotions in the introduction. <laughs> And make sure you sign up to Weeble for for three stocks. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so yes, Buffett, uh, yeah, he's, he does have a very healthy portfolio. Um, we don't know how much cash he's got because we haven't got the Q4 results yet, but it's likely if it's anything like has been in the past couple of years, he's likely in about 30, 35% cash. Um, An interesting kind of a crossover of stories when I was listening to the Daily Journal meeting this morning. Charlie Munger was actually talking about why that is, why he and Warren Buffett, they just have cash. And people he was like, people say, you know, we're trying to time the market. And he was like, no, 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 that's not it at all. Um, it's just a function of our strategy. And this is what we've been saying for the longest mm. time as well. A function of the strategy is we just can't bring ourselves to overpay for businesses. Therefore, if there's a period of time where all businesses are pretty much insanely expensive, then we're not going to be able to sink as much money as what we'd like to in the market and we're just going to accumulate more cash. So, I feel mm. like that's going to be um, that's going to be definitely the case once again when we see the Q4 results from Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, in terms of the actual portfolio, uh, they, were, they sold out of two positions. So, they sold out of Teva Pharmaceuticals. And while we're on the subject of pharmaceuticals, it's been a trend for Buffett the last couple of quarters to be just selling all of the He's selling down all of the pharmaceutical companies like Bristol Myers Squibb and AbbVie, and uh, he's sold out of Royalty Pharma, and there's another one that I can't remember. Mm. Um, but it's it's been a trend. He made kind of a broad industry bet, like what he did did with the airlines, and now he's kind of just backing out of that bet. So it's not surprising to see him sell out of Teva Pharmaceuticals. Um, he also sold out of Sirius XM Holdings, which is a satellite radio provider in the states. Um, so Interestingly, so they sold out of Sirius XM Holdings. They still hold Liberty Sirius XM, which owns 71.5% of Sirius XM, but they've actually ditched the Sirius XM. It's very confusing, (laughs) Hamish. (laughs) Um, So, make of that what you like. I don't know exactly what to make of that, but I mean, it was such a small little snippet of the portfolio that it probably wasn't even Buffett, so you probably don't need to worry about it. Mm, yeah, I mean, there was all of the changes really, even the three you're about to talk about are very, very small. You just look at the bulk of the portfolio and yep, 
Apple is still 41, 42% of it or whatever <laughs> no, it is. it's more than that. Is it really? 47. Oh, 47. 47 and then what's, I don't know, what's second, American Express or bank, something. Bank, nah, yeah. bank of America, uh, 13.5. Yeah, yeah. American Express is third. Yeah. yeah seven and a half. And yeah. yeah, so the bulk of the portfolio just doesn't change at all. It, exa- exactly right. Exactly right. And we will talk a little bit about this in a second. I'll just go through these mm. three stocks. But yeah. yeah, Buffett, I actually think when you boil it down and ask what did Buffett actually do in the quarter? The answer is probably not a lot. Yeah. Um, but if we look at, you know, Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio, of course, this is Buffett and uh, Todd Combs and Ted Weschler. They're the three people that manage money for Berkshire Hathaway. Um, mm. There were still three stocks that were bought in the quarter. And interestingly, one of them, Liberty Media, um, Liberty Media Formula One Series C. So, this is, don't worry about the Series C. That's just a class of share. They just bought non-voting shares. But interestingly, Liberty Media, I think, breaks themselves up into three different sections. So, there's the Formula One group, there's the Braves group, and then there's the Sirius XM group. Hmm. Um, And they've decided to buy into Formula One. So, that's pretty much they just attribute the ownership of Formula One to the Formula One group. And then the other groups have ownership because they have a lot of like little like businesses and stuff. Um, so, yeah, mm. Big Daddy Buffett's b- bought some Formula One. He's been watching <laughs> Drive to Survive like <laughs> the rest took, of us. My, took my line. <laughs> <laughs> Did I? <laughs> Sorry, mate. Yeah, he's, uh, he's obviously been tuned in. He's obviously, you know, taken back by the drama between Verstappen and Hamilton. And he's- Max Verstappen! He knows this season is just going to be a ripper. You <laughs> <laughs> That is pretty funny, though. <laughs> it, it is. It is kind of mind blowing how much in, of an impact that TV series had on on the sport. Huge, though, because huge for me, it was probably never a sport that I would have just stuck on and tried to understand myself. If that makes sense, yeah. like it's not really a sport you can just flick on and be like, oh, I kind of get the rules. Like, oh, umpire just blew the whistle <laughs> for that. I can't do that. You know what I mean? Like some sports, yeah, you can yeah, kind of yeah. get it. Whereas with yeah. this, there's so many technical things and things that happen off track. Yeah. And not everything even happens on the race day. There's the qualifying and the practices and there's so much yeah. involved that you kind of need a show like Drive to... This has got nothing to do with Buffett, but you kind of need a show like Drive to Survive to understand the sport before you can love it. At least that was my yeah. experience. So... It's, Definitely. It's kind of mind It's like trying to get into Formula One is like just diving into the deep, uh, just, yeah, Formula One is just like diving into the deep end. It's yeah. very, very difficult. It's like, yeah, so many like little things like, oh, you know, the, the, the tires that you're using when you set your fastest lap in Q2 are the tires that, that you, you start, start the race yeah. on and you need two different tire compounds. It's like, what the <laughs> heck is going on here? So, yeah, it's crazy. But no. And it's, it's one of those sports where every, like, you don't really see the athletes, you don't see the drivers. Like, when you watch AFL or cricket, it's obvious you're watching the people. Mm. But when it's Formula One, the drivers are behind helmets, they're inside their cars, they don't, you can't talk to them. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's a very, I think Drive to Survive has really done a good job in in showing some of the the people in Formula One because I think that's and the stories in Formula One, which is is done really well. But uh, I mean, it's yeah, the show has led. It's no secret. It's led to a massive resurgence in Formula One viewership, and that's got to be good for the bottom line. So mm. clearly, uh, either Ted or Todd thought that you know what, why not? Let's have a little have a little play. But it's only zero point zero four percent of their portfolio. So it's like it's like walking past a five cent piece on the ground. Mm. Um, 
yeah, for, for, for Berkshire Hathaway. Um, so then in terms of, so that was Liberty Media Formula One Series C. And then they also bought, here we go, mm. Activision Blizzard. Zero point two nine percent of the portfolio. So again, not nothing substantial. It's it's not huge, but uh, here you go. Yeah, <laughs> the, Activision Blizzard is for those that don't know the owner of like World of Warcraft and Call of Duty and Tony Hawk Pro Skater and Diablo, Starcraft. Uh, I'm missing a million of them, but yeah, all of the yeah. sub the sub franchises off of Warcraft, like Heroes of the Storm and all those, but. Oh my gosh! I this mean, is this d- definitely hit me out of left field. I mean, I don't know if you can convince me that there's no insider trading going on in that trade. Like they made the trade pretty shortly before the bid from Microsoft, which I don't know. They did. It's, <laughs> and that's you can't actually, tell me they didn't speak to the management team, and there wasn't there wasn't something mentioned about potential takeover. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. But I mean. Maybe I'm cynical, but... Yeah, Buffett doesn't strike me as someone who would do that. And everybody... I actually made a video on it because I didn't even think about the Buffett-Bill Gates friendship. But everyone's like, oh, Bill Gates, you know, Microsoft boy. And did he uh, Don't they play bridge? They play bridge every week. Yeah, they play bridge every week or something. So, we're putting a bid for... uh, (laughs) We're putting in a bid in a month. So, just (laughs) load up. (laughs) Do you make make, uh, bets in bridge? Do you... you Put forward a bid in bridge. Is that a function of the game? You'd be like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to bid this much, just like the amount I'm going to bid for Activision Blizzard next oh, Tuesday. I said too much. Oh, 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 oh see. <laughs> and another large donation made from Berkshire to the uh, to the <laughs> Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. <laughs> does Does Bill Gates actually have anything to do with Microsoft anymore, though? Uh, like, I'm sure he's probably. He gets some sort of probably personal kickbacks from I you know, have no lifetime idea. membership. But I mean when when you look at say the portfolio for his 13F, which is for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which I'm sure he has his own personal finances as well as the foundation's finances, but um but they don't have they don't touch Microsoft in that portfolio. But yeah. I'm sure there's there's still got to be some deep kind of deep connection with Bill and Microsoft. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Charlie, um, during the meeting, um, may as well talk about this now. Had some um, mm. had some, a little bit to say on Activision Blizzard. Not too much though. He um, he there was a question asking about um, who in the portfolio for or who are the managers in Berkshire made the investment and what was kind of the thoughts behind that. Um, he very quickly said like no comment on the bid, um, and then he kind of went on a weird ramble about. Um, the negative consequences of gaming, which I thought was kind of funny. He goes, oh, right. He goes, uh, clearly he's not a fan of Call of Duty because he said, uh, do you really want someone running around with a machine gun on TV for f- 40 hours a week? <laughs> which <laughs> I thought was kind of kind yeah. of funny. Um, so he, I don't think he's a big fan of, of that, which is, um, I don't know. He praised but- some games and then he, he, uh, he, he kind of insulted a couple other ones. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. His position on it is strange to me because his position is. is kind of that it is not productive for you. It kind of takes away from you being a productive person or whatever and that it's addictive uh, and it can, it can take over your life. I don't know. I, I, you could make a lot of similar arguments, I think. Maybe not quite as similar, but to something like Coca-Cola where it's just an addictive product, right? Which I mm. personally have no product with, no problem with with people drinking coca-cola obviously do whatever you want right that's fine a lot of people enjoy that and get a lot of joy out of it but i could say the same thing about gaming 
So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of a weird position, I think, to, to take on that. Mm. Yeah. No, I love video games. Let the people play. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of uh, interesting how he was like kind of pressed on it and uh, it was like, oh, no comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm, maybe there is more mm. to the story. Mm. I mean, I wasn't skeptical before, but now maybe I am skeptical. <laughs> and the position is sold <laughs> and the bid falls out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That would be funny. Uh, <laughs> oh, he, he did. He did put his his. He did put his foot in a little bit, didn't he, when he was talking about Bobby... What's his name? Bobby Kodak. Did you hear that? No. What was he saying? He was basically just saying, but I think Bobby Kodak is one of the best managers that I've come across in a long time or something like that. I was like, ah, Charlie, like, I get what you mean. You probably like he's he's turned some pretty good business performance out of the company, but the fact that he's, like, implicated in all of this, yeah, like, sexual it? harassment stuff, I'm like, I, I just Charlie, that's probably not the way to phrase it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think any praise should be given to the Activision Blizzard management team. <laughs> no, no. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe Munger might walk that one back. But you can kind of, I mean, he's an old dude. I can kind of understand that maybe he just meant that they've, they've you know, grown Activision Blizzard into a very large company. And from a managerial point of view, that's like, oh, well done. But at the same time, it's mm. like, well, if, you know, you're someone that talks about being a good person and finding good managers that are nice people and respect and that, it's like, well, maybe, maybe just, just don't say anything about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, he, he used to take much more. If you watch some of the old Berkshire meetings, he would be much more likely to just dismiss a question if he didn't right. have an opinion on it or clearly he hadn't kind of thought deeply about it. Um, mm. Whereas in the more recent meetings, the Daily Journal ones, it seems like he tries and gives an answer on everything, which mm. probably leads him to say things that he probably doesn't believe or occasionally, not whether it's on that thing specifically, but just naturally, if you're talking about a lot of different topics, you're not going to be, you're not going to know a deep amount yeah. on every single thing you talk about. So, I don't know. I, mm. I kind of liked Charlie in, in those meetings where Buffett just turns to him and asks, do you have any comment? He's like, no. <laughs> yeah, just do that. Yeah. He, he stuck his foot in a little bit as well when he was talking about Bitcoin. Now we're getting a little bit off topic and, and, and he was like, oh, I don't see why we need a new digital currency. We already have yeah. a digital currency right now. It's like, oh, that's really showing that you- <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't understand. The, yeah, 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 exactly. But um, anyway, so yeah, more on Charlie Munger a little bit later. <laughs> um, but back to uh, Berkshire Hathaway's uh, 13F. So, yes, they uh, mm. they bought Activision Blizzard 0.29% of the portfolio, question marks over <laughs> insider trading. I just <laughs> honestly, I just don't, I just don't think Buffett is that kind of person. No. I don't know. Yeah, I guess not. I don't know. Who knows? I don't I know, him. <laughs> but uh, um, I mean, no, he doesn't, when he doesn't I released, because like I, I made a video on, on this 13F already and I didn't even think about that at the time. And now all the comments I'm getting are like, hmm, question marks over insider trading. I'm like, yeah, I didn't actually think of that. But anyway, mm. um, that's the second buy. And then the third buy was new holdings. Hamish, would you uh, care to do a, do a bit of a deep dive and just talk about new holdings as a business and, and what you think their growth rates will be and, and their debt management, their ROIC over, over the next uh, little while? Mm. Great company. <laughs> Amazing revenues currently to, to be going up as well in the future. So significant <laughs> growth coming from that business. Um, market share to be captured. Growing industry. Uh, Blockchain. Uh, gold deposits. 
digital <laughs> digital consumer experiences and growth stock up Soon. compound annual growth rate of the dividend and also the return on assets. Hmm. <laughs> that, that's good. No, yeah. um, apparently <laughs> it's do? just a. It is a Brazilian fintech like bank. Apparently they're just yeah. like a neo bank. Kind of just offers various saving, spending, uh, investing kind of products. Um, largest. Uh, what was it? Largest. Ah, damn it. I've, I forgot already. It's like largest neobank in Brazil or something like that, but okay. still 0.3% of the portfolio, um, which leads me to the point that I was going to make that we kind of already made before is that I don't think that Warren Buffett did any of this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. I just don't think that he's he's dealing with 0.3% of the portfolio kind of positions. If you ask me, like if I, I'll talk through from from kind of the top of the portfolio. So the largest positions going down to the smaller positions. So our first change, so we've got Apple, Bank of America, American Express, Coca-Cola, Kraft Heinz, Moody's, Verizon, US Bancorp, and then Chevron. Chevron is the first stock that there was any activity on. Mm. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, the ninth largest position. And then for Chevron, he added 33%. And then Bank of New York Mellon, uh, DeVita, Healthcare, General Motors, VeriSign, and then we get down to Kroger, which was the next... reduction of 0.61%, so basically nothing. Mm. And then Charter Communications, a reduction of 9%. And again, then we have Liberty Series, XM Series, uh, uh, Series C, Snowflake, Amazon, and then we get down to Visa and MasterCard where there were slight reductions there. But honestly, there's nothing like, besides the Chevron adding 33%, um, I don't think Buffett really did anything. <laughs> no, probably not. I mean, I think from time to time he does put a little bit in some businesses and then, you know, it, it, I guess if they came down in price, he would build out a complete position in them. But a lot of the time that doesn't happen. But yeah, of course, it's very likely that it wasn't Buffett making these moves or um, I don't know. But everyone's kind of always even watching these small moves because Everyone wants to see early what might be something that becomes a really large position, but um, I guess he's probably likely to to be very quiet about building a massive position in a company anyway. He's unlikely to kind of go slowly or buy a little bit of it to give people a hint that he's looking at it. He's probably more likely to reach out to the SEC and say, hey, can we... Um, can we stop disclosing for a little bit? I'm going to buy yeah. 20% of the company. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah. Maybe he's also learned a little bit because you remember how there was the quarter before the Berkshire Hathaway meeting, not last year, the year before, 2020, where he did a whole bunch of buying and selling. Mm. And then <laughs> the questions in the meeting mm. were just like, you just did this, you just did that. So, maybe he's just like, you know what? Maybe the the Q413F, the one that gets released right before our, our annual meeting, maybe I just won't do anything just, just <laughs> if no I can trades. help it. Yeah. I'll just do I'll do everything I need to do in the in the next quarter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't get asked about it. <laughs> yeah, nah, that's probably it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in terms of other 13Fs, there wasn't really any. I looked through a bunch of them and 
there really wasn't anything too Diesel exciting. Diesel was dry, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, even Bill Ackman's investment in uh, Netflix was made in, it was made Q1. too late. So, we don't even see that yet, um, which yep. is interesting because, a lot, yeah, a lot of the time these investors want to not disclose their position as long as possible, whereas Bill Ackman <laughs> just disclosed it as soon as he, he didn't even need to disclose that he had invested in it and he told the world about it. But um, yeah, I mean, Bory... Basically, I mean, every quarter he changes his whole portfolio. One one month it's one month it's stock oh, it's, options. The other one it's it's put options, and then the next month he's got pharmaceutical companies, and then he's investing in. I don't quite understand his portfolio. Uh, I mean, he's <clears throat> he's he's like a val- He he has the value mindset, but he's also extremely short term. Yeah, I I don't know that man. Yeah. That man is a mystery. He's a, he's a mystery, he's an isn't enigma. he? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, everything he does is like that. I mean, his, his Twitter activity is like that. It's like one month he's there, one month he's deleted everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so his new portfolio, <laughs> for the quarter, but yeah, basically sold down everything. Um, and then he has like four, I think, major positions. Three of them are quite big and then one's a bit smaller. Bristol-Myers Squibb is one that he invested into. It's a pharmaceutical company. Uh, Fidelity mm-hmm. National Finance is an insurance settler and residential lender. Uh, General Dynamics, uh, aerospace and defense uh, business. There was also a, um, he added to a position that he already had, which he kept, which was a private prison business, I think, or something like that. Right. Um, so, that was kind of the other big position. Uh, and then there was a smaller one in uh, a SPAC. So, he's into the, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of ironic. He's getting into the SPACs. As, yeah. Surely, he said something negative about SPACs over time, over on Twitter before. I can't imagine Probably. he has it. But anyway, he's, in, he's now in, in, in the SPAC. Um, the SPAC is called AEA Bridges Impact. And, has it bought uh, something yet? It has. So, it, it was a, oh, okay. it, it's a deal with Harley Davidson. So, Harley Davidson has an electric vehicle uh, subsidiary called Live Wire. And Harley Davidson's going to be spinning that off into its own public company. So, an electric motorcycle startup, basically. Uh, right. And that is what it's going to be done so through the, the SPAC. So, the SPAC is going to buy the live wire off of Harley Davidson. Yeah. And then take it public, essentially. <clears throat> That's so, how it's going to become yeah, public. Yeah. So, I, see. I guess it's not like most SPACs where most people are buying into a SPAC before they even know what is being purchased, like um, Bill mm. Ackman's Pershing Square, Tontine Holdings or whatever it's called. Um, a lot of people invested into that very early before it had even bought anything. I don't think it still has bought anything. A couple of deals yeah, fell, fell through. Um, but yeah, so I guess it's a bit different in that respect. You kind of know what you're buying um, and you know what price you're paying. So you can make some you know, analysis there, but it is a startup. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very early stage. But mm. yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have too much you know, special insight into, into Bory's portfolio. It's always a question nope. mark for me when he, when he had, uh, options on, um, Facebook and, and, and Google, it was a little bit closer to home, but, uh, it was a bit spicier. Yeah, yeah. A little bit more understood, but yeah. And I mean, when he had those, he had those bets against, uh, the treasury bonds, all of that kind of yep. made, that made sense. Made sense. This, I don't, I don't know. Nah. This is confusing. Yeah, yep. we need. Is he back on Twitter? Is he? Nah. No, he's he's he's. He, well, I I checked a little while ago and he wasn't. I just like. So I, I don't think he would have come back. I just love the deleting of everything. 
He's a loose cannon. But he it does what he but wants. It, it's still there. I mean, there's just archive Twitter pages, so yeah. it doesn't do anything. Like, why yeah. not just leave it? Yeah, you know, you exactly. Know what I mean? <laughs> It'd be easier, easier for us to go and find his old tweets too if he just left it there. Even he, he del- tries to delete them like two hours after he's posted them and they're still saved. They, they, they're, yeah. they're, never, they're never lost. Yeah, he doesn't quite, doesn't quite understand that what, what you put on the internet stays on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, hasn't quite, he hasn't quite got that, yeah. yeah. Um, um, but yeah, they, there you go. What, what happened with uh, Monish Parai? I saw Guy Spear added a little bit more Alibaba. Mm. Um, I'm guessing Monish Pabrai did not. <laughs> mm. Have you seen the uh, interview Tom did with uh, Guy Spear? Yes, I mm. did. I watched through that yesterday. That was amazing. Yeah. And Tom, if you're watching, congratulations, dude. That is an absolute epic thing to have done yeah, and to, a, to have achieved. Yeah. And I think it's a testament to the to the content that Tom makes as well. That you know, yep. um, like there's no way Guy Spear is agreeing to go on like financial education or Graham Stephan channel oh, or no. something <laughs> like that. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think that really um, speaks quite highly of the of the content that Tom makes on his channel. So mm. no, well done, Tom. Well done, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> mate. If if Guy Spear went on like Meet Kevin or something, it would just be so ridiculous. Just like the start of it would be bonkers. like. Just before we get started, Guy, um, if you've gotten your life insurance, make sure you use my referral link down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is horrible, yeah. but yeah. And sign up to all these different affiliates for f- oh, a million stocks oh, when boy. you fund your account. <laughs> no, but that was great. Yeah, that was um that was fantastic. To, to watch but yeah I mean in terms of Monish uh, he closed out his Bubba position so he's out uh, at least from the the um, the what's it called the, the one listed on the New York Stock Exchange um, he might hold yep. one overseas but I don't think he does not from what he no. said at least in recent interviews um, and yeah he only has two US positions now so he has Micron and uh, Seritage so that's all he has on the US market and we don't get to see anything else um at least given his current the size of his positions in other places um we know he has his uh his turkish real estate business uh commercial real estate business and his investment in process which is kind of a, a way to get into 10 cent um but yeah we don't get to see too much more of uh of monish unless he gets back into some american companies but that's the yeah. case with a lot of big investors at the moment there's a lot of people looking outside of the u.s uh, for investment opportunities because there really isn't all that much in the US at the moment. Um, yep. I think it's pretty, fair to say. Pretty hot, hot in the kitchen in the US. It's very hot expensive. In the kitchen. Um, um, but yeah, no, you're right. That is a general sweeping trend that all of these big name investors that you see more and more like Chinese holdings pop up, um, you know, Monish Pabrai's got like Indian and I think Turkish, Mm, um, that, yeah, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, very interesting. And hmm. one resource that I will just note, um, I don't know if you use this one, Ticker.com. Do you mm. use Ticker.com? Oh, Ticker. Yes. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, Ticker is if, if you want to try and get like the most complete. So, 13Fs are just what they hold in the United States. If you wanted to try and get the most complete um, look at their portfolio, you know, including everything, then ticker.com is a, is a good way to yeah. do it. T- ticker.com um, forward slash Hamish Hotter. That's a, that's the, is, do you have an affiliate? Are you an affiliate <laughs> of theirs? Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, you can't go to ticket.com. It doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work anymore. You have to go through ticker.com forward slash Hamish Hotter. Oh, yeah, really? It's just, yeah, I don't the know. Website's weird, broken. Weird thing, yeah. I don't know why it's Hang like on, that. Let me let me try. Yeah. Ticker.com. I mean, I just try. You don't have to try. It doesn't. Oh, my gosh. No, yeah. I just tried it and you're right. It, yeah. it's, it's, it, it says, did you, it says, it's come up with a Google thing. Did you mean ticker.com forward slash mm. Hamish Hotter? I guess I did mean that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, now it works. Yeah, now it works. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, um, so that's Burry, Monish, Guy Spear, Buffett. They're the 13Fs, eh? Yep, that's it. They're I think that's all we've, all we've got. Well, let's get into some. Let's get into some some Daily Journal Charlie Munger action because uh, he, mm. he spoke about it. I don't know where you want to begin. You've you've got um, quite a bit here, so well, maybe could, maybe you take maybe us we through can back and forth. I mean, it's yeah. just kind of a collection of of things that stood out to me that, that maybe we've been talking about related to Charlie Munger or value investing over the last little while. So, um, mm. for example, at the start and. <clears throat> Because he's just answering questions, of course, the questions are going to kind of generally trend towards current events. So, for example, he was asked about uh, his investments in China and Mm. Munger says he's, you know, very comfortable uh, having his investments in China. Um, You know, some people were in their question saying, I feel uncomfortable investing in China. And he's like, okay, each to their own. If you don't feel comfortable, then don't do it, which is, of course, very sound advice. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's like I think one of the quotes was it's like he feels like investing uh, – how, how do I say it? His feeling on, say, investing in Russia is how a lot of people are viewing like investing in China at the moment. Um just like yeah. they, they feel, they feel a little bit scared. But he personally is not is is not concerned. Um, yeah, he his his general his general overarching uh, argument was that at the end of the day, um, the best outcome for all nations is to just get along with each other. Um, so in terms of like CCP and American delisting and that sort of thing, it's just like the the best. The best outcome is that all nations get along with each other and business is allowed to flourish. So he thinks that will happen. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of his backbone for saying, you know, I'm comfortable investing in China. And he sees yeah. this stuff as long term investments. So it's like even there might be bumps along the road, but, you know, he's he's staying strong and going long. Yeah. Um, I mean, and he's, yeah. he's at the end of the day, sorry, just no, funny, yeah. he just said at the end of the day, the reason, the main reason he's buying in China at the moment is quite simply he's finding better value in China. That's like, that's the number one thing. He's like, he was being asked about, oh, Chinese government. So he's like, the way I see it is we've bought into Alibaba just because we're finding better value there at the moment. Yeah. We feel like we're getting more bang for our bucks. So that's what we do. We're value investors. That's what we try and find. We've found it, so we're grabbing it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I generally agree with the idea that we, obviously we want nations to get along with each other, but I think there's I think it's fairly reasonable for for one nation to still point out if another is doing something that's pretty morally terrible. I think that's a reasonable position to take because I don't know. I, I don't see it as, you know, obviously you want a country to look after your own people first. I think that's obviously that needs to be a priority. But then I, I yep. still just see people as people, you know, no matter where you oh, are absolutely. around the world and, you know, whatever's going on, whether it's the, the Uyghurs in, in China, that stuff really bothers me. Um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting to hear, and look, I'm no expert, obviously, but it's interesting to hear that. Clearly, Buffett 
has a very, very different opinion to, to Munger on, on China. Buffett does not invest in China. And we don't really know, you know, what his deep opinion on that is, whether it's from a moral perspective or whether he doesn't find investments there or whether it's the risks of regulation or whatever it is. But interesting to mm. see that they have kind of different opinions on, on that. Um, mm. So, yeah. Yeah, so that was China. Um, he got, of course, he got asked about cryptocurrency. You can imagine what he what he said about <laughs> cryptocurrency. He's uh, he's actually done a one eighty, and he said that he's sunk the majority of the free cash of the Daily Journal yep. into uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Shiba Inu. Yep. Um, if you can't beat so, him, join him. So yeah, exa- exactly right. <laughs> no, he's uh, <clears throat> definitely not not changing his tune on cryptocurrency. Um, his general opinion is he feels it shouldn't be encouraged uh, as it gets implicated with crime a lot. Um, he is he said he's proud of China for banning it and he thinks the US should have done so and uh, now that they're trying to integrate it, he thinks is the wrong move. So, um, we will see. But, I mean, it was also pretty clear that he didn't quite understand um, the full kind of... Uh, I don't know, inner workings of the block. I'm not saying that I do of the blockchain because I definitely don't. But uh, uh, like I said before earlier in the podcast, it's just like a couple of little things he said, which kind of showed that he didn't quite understand the differences in the way that the system works. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah he's, he's certainly just, <clears throat> he's certainly just not going to buy it ever. Yeah. So I think people, people should just stop asking him. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is kind of funny, not that it's necessarily the exact same thing, but it is funny to watch interviews of people with their doubts about the internet back in the early nineties. Yeah. And yeah. one of the big, one of the big pushbacks uh, and early two thousands even as well was that there was so much crime that was being enabled by the internet. Like all of a sudden right. you had, well, before there was all these checks on, on, on chat rooms and messages and that sort of thing online, which now there's a lot of regulation around that. Before it was kind of this new way to connect where you didn't have to use and go through a, a, a telephone company that was regulated by the government and you had, and people, you know, committing crime had to be careful, you know, how, how they were communicating through there. So it's, it's interesting to hear that and, you know, obviously there was, you know, a huge amount of, of, of people pirating movies and, and games and it still exists obviously today, but to a significantly less degree than it did when the internet was just the Wild West. Um, but mm. it's interesting to hear that as an argument. I don't think that argument holds all that much water against cryptocurrency. I think that's going to be the case with any new technology or anything new that... Uh, hasn't been fully regulated yet where the, mm. the laws haven't caught up to, to, to the tech. So I don't, I don't know if I care too much about that as an argument against mm. cryptocurrency. Fair enough. Um, in terms of inflation, uh, it was interesting. This is what you were talking about before, how he rem- he remembers so vividly the events that have happened a long time mm. ago in, in his, his own personal history. Um, he was talking about how he remembers the, the, the recession that followed the high inflation of the 1970s. Um, and he said, you know, we, he really hopes that we don't go back there. Um, he described it as a, as a very horrible recession. Um, in hindsight, he says he still thinks it was the right move for Volcker to raise rates so steeply as he did, which did cont- end up controlling the inflation, but also caused the recession. Mm. Um, but he isn't sure the political environment would allow that uh, that kind of decisive action again. Um, 
which would cause such a nasty recession. He just doesn't think that that would work politically. He just doesn't think that that would be possible. Um, so thus, he he thinks that this time round it will play out differently, but he doesn't know how. But he did say, and I quote, this is kind of crazy, uh, you may wish you had a Volcker-style recession instead of what we're going to get. The troubles that come to us might be worse than what Volcker was dealing with and harder to fix. Mm. So, uh, I don't think he's particularly optimistic about the uh, the future no. of inflation and interest rates and, and whatnot. Yeah, it sounds like he has a position much like Ray Dalio's, which is Ray Dalio thinks the exact same thing. He thinks that um, governments are much more likely to devalue the currency than just offload some of the debt and get that debt down and get it under control. They're much more likely to let inflation run than um, then fix inflation and hurt yeah. the economy in the short term as a result of it. So it's interesting to see because that really is the the inflection point we're at. It's whether the Federal Reserve will think independently from what the government wants because the government's always going to be whispering in the ear, whoever's in power of the Federal Reserve to, to get them to do what they want, but whether they want to spend more or whatever it is, right? Mm. Um, so whether the Fed will act independently and then what they will do. Um, I don't know. Yeah, we, we really don't know what's going to happen. But yeah, maybe they maybe they will be scarred from the the what happened in the 1970s. But at the same time, it's kind of a good example of what happens when you don't get inflation under control, and then how devastating it is eventually when you do what you what is necessary, which is raise interest rates. So yeah, I, I, I'm certainly of the opinion that I want the Fed to get on top of inflation before it gets out of control. And the last year and a half, they have just continued to kind of cross their fingers <laughs> that things, you know, <laughs> transition into a into a into a low yeah. inflation environment. But yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. that happens, but they are banking on it. And if it doesn't, it's uh, they're going to need to do some sharp interest rate increases. I would think so. Mm. They won't be very popular. No. <laughs> well, they're not going to be popular either way, I think. No, I mean, they let not. inflation run and everyone's wondering why their rent is going up so much and why groceries are so expensive. Yeah. And if they Do raise interest rates, it. everyone loses their job. You can't <laughs> yeah. win. I mean, it, that's true. It's just the consequence. Like, it's just it's the unfortunate physics of money, the consequence. Mm. It's like the equal and opposite reaction yeah. to spending yeah. a bunch of money, which we had to do to save people out of the pandemic. It was just, it's just an unfortunate, you know, there's, it, there's not always a, a you know, a, a, a good mm. end. Like, the, I mean, we kind of saved a lot of pain in the pandemic, but I think a lot of that pain will probably still come in a different form. And that's Reminds just, of- that's, that just is unfortunate, you know? Yeah. Reminds me of the Ray Dalio quote, where it's something like, <clears throat> because we have debt, we have cycles. And it's like, <laughs> you can't avoid it. I mean, yeah. if you, if you, you know, if you give money to people at a certain period of time, you then have to take money away from people at a different point in time. So, it swings and roundabouts. It's, it all has to balance out. It all has to work out eventually. But yeah. I like how you described it as the physics of money. Yeah, you're not wrong. I, I don't know who first whisp- like said that, and I just it just clicked with me. But it is absolutely true. Yeah. The, I, I think, and I mean, it, it's it's true for physics as well. I mean, there's physics in the real world versus in theory. There's obviously more factors than the basic kind of 
three term um, calculation that you would do, you know, when you were doing high school physics, right? High school yeah. physics, it's, it's nice. It's a nice vacuum. It's like a force this way, a force that way. There's no air resistance. There's, it's yeah. very nice thing. It's very clean, right? But <laughs> yeah. in the real world, obviously it's not as clean. It's There's a more million factors. factors. And the same yeah. thing is true for economics. There's people who will, will, you know, read, um, you know, uh, 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 university economics and just live by that. But that's just not how the world operates. I mean, generally speaking, it's, it's, it's an act, it's a way to kind of track how things change over time, but there are way more factors than, than that. And it's not really, it's not something you can, you can reasonably predict, but mm. yeah. Is there anything else you took out of the, out of the meeting? Um, yeah, I mean, he, there was, actually, there was one very interesting one right at the end. I think it was the last question. Uh, he was asked about, uh, whether he had a, an investment that was a dog. I think that they, they ref, she referred to it as, so like a really, you know, a bad investment. Oh, yeah. Um, and he spoke about, uh, Berkshire's investment in the world book encyclopedia, um, which, uh, Berkshire was apparently making 50 million a year on that business, selling those books. Um, obviously before the internet and computers, that was, um, that was an amazing resource. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who could have seen that? No one could have uh, seen that coming though, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, he spoke about how, uh, how Bill Gates, um, included a free encyclopedia on, on Microsoft's computer software and the business was just basically wiped out. (laughs) And that, that he said they still made a couple million selling them to, to, to libraries and libraries. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. And, and yeah, it was just an interesting case study because he was, you know, kind of saying yeah, that's the ruthlessness of, of, of capitalism. Um, there will be an invention that you don't see coming and it will completely wipe out a lot of businesses, uh, even yeah. businesses that you couldn't imagine um, would ever get wiped out. Um, so mm. yeah, it's just a, just a kind of interesting Interesting case study. He he went on to talk about uh, in the in in the kind of same thought uh, about how he doesn't believe that TV programs and I guess he's talking about like um, just uh, education through the internet. He doesn't believe that it's as good as the the World Book Encyclopedia. Um, he said that the book helped right. him get ahead in life and that it was it was it's basically much better than what's available now. I don't think mm. I. I don't think I agree with that. What I think he's kind of describing is the fact that, I mean, I certainly don't think online education is worse than a book that can't change, can't be adapted if something is found to be not true or anything like that, right? It's just kind of a stagnant book. Maybe yeah. you get one a year. There's no um, live updates to that. And it's limited by the pages of the book as well. So I, I think clearly online access to information online is 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 much greater, but it's also more accessible to more people. So I think it makes the environment for getting ahead in life much more competitive than it was previously. It's kind mm. of similar to if you just think of it, <clears throat> you can kind of have a, an, a, a similar thing when it comes to investing. When Buffett was younger, Clearly, the markets were less less efficient. There was less people investing. There was less publicly available information. So stocks were more, more likely to be mispriced. There was more. They were more likely yeah. to be overvalued or undervalued for long periods of time, which is what you want as a value investor. So clearly, it was easier uh, to find opportunities when Buffett was younger. 
But on the same, on the other side of the coin, there was no internet. So it was only really easier for people who would go to extreme lengths like Buffett to get the information on companies in order to make rational decisions. Um, And now the opposite is kind of true. Uh, Markets are much more efficient. There's way more people watching the markets. And uh, we have access to the internet, which means all pretty much all publicly available information, uh, even some private information will leak publicly immediately. Uh, all of that is available, which makes research really easy. So the tools available to invest are much better now than they were back then. But because everyone has those tools, it's much, it, it's very competitive. Mm. So I, I think the same- Closes the gap, yeah. I think the same thing applies for education. I think- there's much better education tools now than there were, um, but everyone has access to them. The bar is so low to improve yourself that it's very, very competitive. So it's kind of mm. a give and take, I think. Um, it's interesting. Over time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I find that interesting. That's good. Um, what else? What else? What else? Yeah, what, um, yeah there was Politics, he, has, he always has a little bit to say on politics. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he said, interesting, this is a yeah, interesting example. He thinks it's a great loss that all of the old kind of regional newspapers were either acquired or put out of business. Um, he said, now you have either left-wing or right-wing news <laughs> and they just feed you what you want to hear, which increases the divide. Uh Uh, Yeah, so, quote, what do we have instead? We have a bunch of people who attract an audience because they're crazy. I have my favorite crazies and you have your favorite crazies. And we all get to, and we all get crazier as we hire people. Hang on. And yeah, and we all get crazy as we hire people to tell us what we want to hear. It's nobody's fault. It's just the creative destruction of capitalism. But I do find that that is so true. I mean, just the, the fact that, you know, all... Like there used to be a lot of independent uh, media and news companies that all like, and it was, there were some local ones and then slowly but surely they all get bought up or they get put out of business. And now you have basically all media, all news, it's either left-wing focused or it's right-wing focused. And the reason it's gone like that is because that's what's most profitable. You've got a whole lot of, you've got half the people, well, I don't know what the stats are, but let's just say half the people in the world that think slightly more right-wing, you have half the people in the world that think slightly more left-wing and you get an audience and you grow a following by, you know, being, having an opinion and attracting people who share the same opinion and that's just the way that news has gone. And he says that that's a very sad thing, but that's just how capitalism works. And he says that he doesn't know what to do about it. Um, now we've got is the media situation just increases the divide. Now it's like every most people back in the day wouldn't give two cents about politics. They just wouldn't mm. care. Now yeah. everybody has a political opinion and the divide between political opinions is enormous um, and it just gets fed by the media. So I thought that was a very interesting thing that he brought up, but he says it's very sad that, yeah. you know, all of the independent kind of uh, – perspectives on the world have eventually been acquired and fallen unto, underneath a couple of big names and that's and that's kind of uh, sealed the deal on what what bias their content will have yeah, yeah. And, and he also spoke about how when he was growing up and after the the, the second world war must have been um, how everyone in the US kind of came together in solidarity and there was much more of the, the two political parties were much closer together 
because it was kind of like everyone had a common enemy in a way, right? And you can't, everyone had to come together. Um, and that that's kind of shown in the data as well. The political parties at the time were, were there was much more overlap. Whereas over the last 40 or 50 years, there's just been a consistent widening of those two parties. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the fix of that is, but it's getting worse. And it's, mm. it, it's even, even, you know, the last five years, let's say I've probably paid the most attention to, to, uh, to politics. I've, you can notice that it is getting worse. Uh, mm. People are really digging their heels in. Everyone has a deep opinion about at least some issue. <laughs> and it's, it's very strange to watch um, people just having strong political opinions when I feel like a, a lot of people don't look at politics and, and study those topics very much. It's almost like the internet has given everyone the opportunity to read a headline and read and come up with an opinion without, I don't know, you know, where before maybe they wouldn't have even thought about those things. So I don't know. It's, it is very strange to watch. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. What can you do? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Cause I, I find, I, you, cause you posted something on, um, on, on Facebook this morning about this yeah, as well. Yeah, I was inspired by what Charlie was talking about. And yeah. I just, I wish more people would think like that because, and the, what, what Brandon basically said was, why do people dig in to having it being on a side? Like, why not just take in mm. the facts and pick an opinion? And if it means you fall a little left, if it means you fall a little right on an issue, one issue, who cares? Like, mm. I think some people are so afraid. This probably goes both ways, but- it definitely goes both ways, actually. But some people are so afraid of agreeing with the right or agreeing with the left yeah. on an issue. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, true. there's yeah, people yeah. who are terrified of it. It's almost I can't like be seen. <laughs> yes, and it, that is that is sad because yeah. then you're no longer thinking rationally. You're just you're thinking in tribalism. My tribe must win at all costs. And even if we're wrong on this issue, we're right mostly. So, so we need to fight so we need the to, wrong thing. So I, need, yeah. so I will agree with the wrong thing in order to win. Yeah. And it, that's just ridiculous. I, I tend to fall, I fall, as I've said, I probably fall a little bit more right economically. I definitely fall more left socially with social issues. Yeah. Uh, who cares? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like everyone's different. Everyone has different experiences. If you've experienced something, then you're far more likely to have a, a strong opinion about that thing in one mm. way or the other. I don't know. I, 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 maybe, I remember doing yeah, go on. Sorry, you go. No, I was just going to, maybe most people, I guess most people are probably like that. And you just see the loud extreme online. Uh, but I, I like mm. to think that most people are rational human beings who don't pick sides. Yeah. <laughs> My, fa my, my post, if, if you guys are interested, I'll read it word for word. It says, unpopular opinion, you should not be right or left and you should not be a Labor voter or a Liberal voter. They're the two major parties in Australia. You should ins instead suppress confirmation bias and gather the facts of both arguments to make an unbiased decision based on your own values. That is how I stand. Um, and mm. I'd be interested to hear, you know, it, whether you agree with that, whether you could build on that, you know, leave a comment. It's uh, very interesting. But uh, with that said, I think we'll wrap things up because we're already crossing past the hour mark. Oh, we thought we were going to get to lots of Q&A today and we got to none. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, how, how does, yeah, that was pretty crazy. Um, but we touched on a lot of very interesting uh topics i feel like mm. actually like looking at each other uh, actually helps us just keep going yeah i agree um, 
and, mm. and, and go deeper into things, which is actually interesting. So it's a little bit of a different change, but uh, mm. hopefully it's for the better. Um, but we will get to more Q&A questions next week. So if you have a question you'd like to ask for the podcast, just head over to YouTube and click on the most recent uh, podcast that's up there. Head down to the comments section and just leave your question in the comments. And as I say, we just grab them all. We just chuck them in the Google Doc and then we just go down, go down through them. Uh, so, yeah, but apart from that, guys, that'll just about do us for today. Thanks very much for, for watching or mm. listening. <laughs> maybe maybe we've convinced you if you're normally a listener to maybe go and give the YouTube version a bit of a try because um, mm. we do. We hope to be. We hope to do the the filming um, from week to week from now on. I'm sure we'll still do live podcasts and they'll still be a lot of fun. But uh, mm. yeah, uh, with you in Melbourne and me in Canberra, we'll try and uh, film ourselves and 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 keep the podcast video uh, videoed for YouTube. But Anyway, with that said, guys, we hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you guys next week. See you guys.